Well, hey, Fiddle Church, good to see you all here. I'm Pastor Chris, one of the pastors around here, and it's good to see you all here on a beautiful Sunday morning. Um, if you're new, let me just explain. We're doing something a little different than we normally do this morning. Normally, we just walk through books of the Bible. In fact, we just finished up our Song of Solomon series. This is really kind of the, the, uh, the, the last of that series. What we did is we preached all the way through the book. It's an amazing book in your Old Testament about love, sex, marriage, romance, and Jesus. And, and, and then we took one week last week just to talk about this current issue in our culture of, of homosexuality and same-sex marriage and things like that. And, uh, and, and, and then we try to, uh, I guess, about once a year, we haven't done it uh, now in a couple of years, but we try to do like a Q&A uh, because sometimes there are topics that come up where people just go, I have more questions that were not answered. And so we want to give you that opportunity to do that. And, um, and so the, the way this will work this morning is you get to ask us whatever question you want to ask and we will do our best. Uh, to bring a biblical understanding to that question. Um, and you can, you can text them to this number up here on the screen. Uh, it's anonymous, so nobody will know who is uh, writing. And, um, and so just, just uh, this is a time when we're actually going to encourage you to text in church, okay? So uh, we hope that you'll do that and send us your questions, and we'll try to get through as many as possible. So to help me, I don't think I'm the only one who has wisdom in these areas. Um, I'm going to ask if my wife, Michelle, will come up, and if Stephen and Katie Coppenrath will come. And will you give them a hand? as they come up just for coming and helping. Um, so thankful. I mean, uh, Stephen and Katie have a great marriage, great family, uh, three beautiful children, and uh, ours are uh, further along than theirs, but um, uh, they're still beautiful children. You guys are beautiful, yeah. And... Uh, so we, we're, we're here to serve you, and uh, hopefully the, the questions will serve you, and, and we, we pray that the, the answers uh, will as well. So let's just kind of get right to it, and we're going to try to get through as many of these questions as we can. Um, so why don't you go ahead and put the first one up on the screen. Uh, what do you do when you've been hurt by your in-laws? What do you do when you've been hurt by your in-laws? Uh, my in-laws live with me, so I can't answer this one. No, just kidding. <laughs> I have wonderful in-laws. So actually, what, what, talk about that, either of you. I also have um, really wonderful in-laws and um, a sister-in-law. and They've um, really folded me into their family. Um, I would say that Stephen has pretty good in-laws too. I don't, know. <laughs> I don't know that he would say that all the time. Um, we come from very different families. and So I'm, I'm not speaking from experience. But the Bible says that um, when you get married... Uh, you and your spouse become one family, and that is a, a brand new family unit. Um, and, and that's ordained by God, that's a covenant you make. And um, that changes a lot of things um, with, with your immediate family, extended family, brothers, sisters, parents, grandparents. Um, and there are choices that you have to make, um, not just you know, whose house are we doing Christmas at? Or maybe we just do our own Christmas um, and, and forego all the family drama. And there's conversations you need to have. Um, I don't know you, what this is referring to, um, but I know that there is a lot of hurt when it comes to extended family. And I would say, first and foremost, talk to your spouse. Um, communicate, express that hurt, whatever it is. Um, and, and enter a conversation with your in-laws um, with grace and understanding. And, and don't brush it under the rug and move on. Don't harbor bitterness. Don't harbor anger. Um, because family is important, especially 
and, you know, as your family grows and you start having kids, those relationships are so important. Um, yeah. So, again, um, I, I don't know, and I feel for you, and um, make sure you enter it with a lot of prayer. Pray for your in-laws, whatever it is they did to hurt you, whenever anyone hurts you. Um, that's what the Bible says to do is to pray for them um, and, and take that step of faith and boldness with Christ by your side um, to try to work it out because those relationships are important, and if it's a hurt that can't be redeemed, which, you know, we know that's not true, um, you and your spouse, you know, have, have real conversations about that and, and what, that, what your family then looks like moving forward. Yeah, go ahead, Steve. Yeah, I, I would just add to that. Um, my wife's been really great in the area of teaching me empathy for people, compassion. And I, I think that's, that's so huge when dealing with hurt, especially with in-laws. There's a lot of layers of complexity with in-laws, especially like Katie and I started dating when we were in high school. So when in-laws, these are like older you know, wiser people who are like, you know, they're adults and we're kids. And so as you grow, those rules kind of shift a little bit. I understand that. But um, yeah, I, I think that it's, it's so important to remember that when, when dealing with, with in-laws, that you're coming from a different family dynamic, right? You have different family values maybe than the other person does. And, and so the empathy is huge because just because they say things a certain way or maybe, maybe seem even a little passive aggressive in certain ways or things of that nature, they're not necessarily coming from a, a position to hurt you. It's just they have a different family vocabulary and a different way of seeing things. And so, yeah, I would, I would say hold those things lightly and then as, as my wise wife mentioned, just remember that you, you're, you're a new family. You are a family unit that, um, and your responsibility as mom and dad is to take care of, of that family. Okay, uh, next question. Uh, how do I answer my kids when they ask why one of their friends has two moms? So, um, yeah, this is a obviously very current, relevant issue. How do, we, how do we start talking to our kids about the issue of homosexuality? So my kids are older now. Um, and so we can have very candid conversations with them. Um, Owen is five, Penny is three, uh, Margo is 10 months. 10 months, probably can't really have much conversation with her about it. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, why don't you guys, I mean, uh, baby, do you have something you want to say about this? Or uh, Well, I, I think this is a huge thing to talk about because, you know, uh, for those of us that have kids, again, ours are older, so it's easier to have a conversation with them, but you know, we're going to be raising children in a much different world than what we were raised in. We were just talking about it at the, I was talking to the Boyans about it at the end of the first service. And, um, you know, it's, it's just going to be a different world. And I think that it's really important to begin those conversations. Um, it's just like talking to your children about, about sex in general. You have to um, have those, be ready to have those conversations as early as possible uh, without um, bringing extra confusion into your kids' lives. Um, I would just say it's important to have those conversations because sexuality is on the table these days where it wasn't before. So your, your child's gender identity, all those things need to be talked about a lot earlier and with regularity so that you can be prepared if your child, and when I should say, your child comes home and says that they have a friend with two moms. And I think you have to be ready to explain it very biblically um, in love, but without wavering on that and just going, that is their decision, their choice, you be tolerant of that. And it gives you great conversations to talk about what that even means, how to be able to speak the truth in love. And hopefully, you've got to work it out yourself first. So if, if, those, if there are those about, out there that can't quite decide what you would say, just what you think about it yourself, you've got to figure that out first before you start tackling it with your children. Yeah. 
Uh, l- let me just add, add one thing. Um, I think, I think you, you should talk about sexuality, and let me explain this, early, in that there ought to be a celebration in some sense of maleness and femaleness. So this isn't some strange, like I thought we were all just alike and there's this interchangeable gendered that, that we can have. And, and so they even grow up with an understanding that, that, hey, you know, boys are boys, girls are girls. There's, there's even that sort of elementary kind of conversation so that as it grows, um, then you're able to speak into a situation like two moms or two dads or something else. But the other thing I want you to be really careful about, we would all need to be careful about, is it's really easy. Your kids don't just sort of, okay, now sit down and I'm going to talk to you about this, right? You have the talk with your kids or whatever. They're going to pick up on way more subtle cues from you than that. And those subtle cues can be, you know, tisks and, oh my, you know, I mean, just rolling of eyes. They can be all kinds of things. I think we all have to recognize the world that we live in. And what we don't want our kids is to have this kind of angry attitude. They, they, we ought to be teaching them and they ought to, they ought to see modeled in us this, this love. So no matter what the sin is. That's like, I cannot believe people struggle with that. I cannot believe they would do that. And they sort of hear you and, and your spouse sort of murmuring about things that you disagree with. Um, hopefully, we can have grace-filled conversations, grace-filled reactions, so that our kids begin to see that modeled and not just, you know, now is a teaching time. I want to sit you down and talk to you about uh, your sex life and the birds and the bees and that sort of thing. That ought to be just something that sort of permeates, I think, the atmosphere of your home where, where you're able to just kind of, that, that, those things sort of naturally percolate and you can talk about sin and you can talk about sexuality and you can, you can talk about and wrestle with them uh, through those things. Do you want to add anything to that, Stephen? No? Okay. All right. How do I respond if my sister wants to date a Christian man who struggles with homosexual temptations? Well, that's a great question. Somebody want to tackle that? Because I don't. I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, okay, well, let me, let me weigh in. Um, uh, I, I, again, this is, this is a very sort of bald question. I don't know what the, what, what's going on there. If this is somebody, if this is, a, this is a man who goes, yeah, I've had those struggles in the past. You know, it seems like right now, let's all just admit that Gender identity, sexual identity is almost a popular thing to struggle with if, if you're in high school and junior high. Uh, it's sort of become trendy in, so, in some ways, and I'm, I'm not sure that, that uh, that's going to last very long, but it's, it's here right now. So if that's what's happening, then it might be that, he's, you know, this, this, this man is going, you know, he's, he's in the throes of, of adolescence. If he's an older person that says, man, I'm genuinely struggling with this and I, and I you know, don't know that I can actually have a relationship with a woman, I love Jesus, I'm a Christian, I don't want to give in to these temptations. On the other hand, if he's then trying to force himself into a heterosexual relationship, I think that's a wrong thing. Let, I think, church, we have to, we, we have to create an environment in the church that does not... Um, preach that the end-all be-all of the Christian single life is to get married. I'm not saying we relegate people. Being single should not in the church of Jesus Christ mean being lonely. It just should not mean that at all. 
It should mean you are a part of a family, this great, wonderful family. So, so in this instance where this woman is saying, I, this, this girl would say, I, I want to date this, this guy, but he struggles with this, I would kind of want to know, what is that struggle? Tell me more about the level of that struggle. If this is something where he's like, man, I, I really do have a desire for other men and I can't seem to get away from that, the, the truth is, there, are, there is plenty of evidence out there that says there, there is times when, you know, there's a Rosario Butterfield. There's others who, are, who, who would say, man, I fully identify with that lifestyle, and today I am married and have children. But there are others that would say, I, I feel this way, and for whatever reason, God has not taken that away from me. And yet I want to serve him, and I want to exalt him, and so I'm going to have to do that as a single person. So I think if I'm counseling my young daughter who's, who's going to date a man who struggles with this, I'd want to know to what degree is the struggle? Where, where, where is he in this so that we can, we can help him and be a, a, a benefit to him and, and try to see, is this something that, man, do you want to get counseling? And, and to, to what degree do you struggle with this so that, so that this is not just something that if you guys enter into a marriage, well, you've got to wrestle with this uh, temptation the rest of your life. You guys want to add something to that? Yeah, um, yeah. I would just say that I would I'd caution against it. Not, uh, not you know, black and white answer there, but it's just like I, I would, I would say that's the difference between dating, courting, and, and marriage. Um, it's one thing if you're married to this person and you realize there are these struggles that come up, and through counseling and through conversations, and it's like, wow, this is something we have to deal with. But as, as somebody looking to date someone, what is dating courtship anyway, right? You're, you're trying to find, hey, is this, is this work? Is this compatible? Do you love Jesus? Do you share my values? Are you a hard worker? And I would say that would be kind of a, a yellow red flag, not necessarily because of the intensity or the, the worseness of the sin. We talked about that last week quite a bit and how homosexuality is in the same boat as many other sins. But because of the consequences of that sin, they can really wreak havoc in your, specifically in your marriage. And so um, I, I would say approach it prayerfully, but at the same time, this is an opportunity to realize, hey, this maybe just doesn't line up at this point. Good, yeah, good. All right, next question. What are good boundaries for a dating relationship? So let me, let me sort of frame this and then you guys get after it. Uh, what was it? In June, I think, uh, I, we were going through the Song of Solomon, and I, I sort of laid out, and I, this is kind of arbitrary, but we talked about what, what dating is versus courtship versus engagement versus marriage, and dating being that um, kick the tires phase, that just kind of like, I, I'm just sort of seeing, I'm not off the market, I am... Um, I, I am, you know, still, my, my options are still open. Uh, we're really not even calling each other boyfriend and girlfriend. I'm just figuring out if this person, if we are uh, spiritually compatible, maybe is the thing to say, whether we are compatible in our values and things like that. Just starting to that investigative process. Courtship then is when you say, okay, we've been through that phase. Courtship is where we up the ante, we're off the market, we are boyfriend and girlfriend. And as we said before, um, there is... There is, um, at the courtship phase, you don't even go into that phase unless you can say, this person is marriage material for me, right? You don't, you don't, you don't keep going. Otherwise, it's just a selfish thing. I just want to be in this because um, of our physical relationship. I want to be in this, I want to be able to say I have a boyfriend or girlfriend. That, that's, that's purely selfish for, for your own reasons. So 
if, if this is just about dating, then um, I think the boundaries are you get to do nothing. You can look at her. Okay? Uh, it's dating. If you move into courtship, then I think that opens up more physical options. But as we've said before, you've got to be very, very careful here. Because the further you go down that road, uh, there is no U-turn on a, on a highway, uh, on an on-ramp. And, and physical relationships are like a, an on-ramp you speed up into. And you, it is nearly impossible to go, we held hands and then we kissed and then we kind of laid down on the bed together. And, I mean, and then, well, let's go in reverse now. Let's go back to the holding hand stage. You're like, boring, right? Uh, um, you don't want to do that. So I think, I think you, you've got to think about it in, in terms of really stewarding the physical relationship uh, when it comes to that, that courtship phase. What else? Yeah. Uh, we heard it over and over again in the Song of Solomon, the woman pleading um, with other ladies, do not awaken those desires. And I was sitting every time, preach it, because <laughs> it's, it's so true, and it's such wisdom um, and warning. Because once you go there, Chris said, you can't go back. And those desires are so hard to stifle, especially when you're in love and you're dating. Steve and I dated for six years before we got married, and it was a tumultuous time, <laughs> truly, um, trying to fight those desires, those God-given desires. Um, and those desires are great within marriage. And, and they're, um, to give in to them in marriage is, is so wonderful, but it's so hard and distracting um, when you're just dating, especially when you're in school. Um, so don't awaken those desires. We, you know, been there, done that, struggled. It's addictive. Um, I plead with you, um, just just save yourselves in that. Um, otherwise, you'll suffer consequences. Steve and I, we felt a temptation and had sex before marriage. And, you know, by the grace of God, you know, we, we were redeemed in that. And, um, you know, he's blessed us now and blessed our sex life as, as married couple. But um, that to walk through that sin is so hard. Um, and you don't want to start your marriage that way. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, well, I was going to say more, but that's right. <clears throat> okay, next question. For homosexuals who claim they were born that way, are they doomed to a single life? Um, okay, so let's, I think we talked about this last week. Um, born that way. Uh, first of all, there's, there's lots of debate about that. And so let, let's jump in and say, let's concede that. Let's concede that they're, they're born that way. Um, not because I think that's necessarily true, but, but for the sake of this argument, that, that um, you can certainly say that most homosexuals would say to you, Chris, if I wasn't born this way, I didn't choose it, okay? And it's not because my dad raped me. It's not because any trauma in my life. I just, uh, these were just desires that I grew up with, and I don't know where they came from, and I didn't choose them, okay? So then are they doomed to a single life? And I think that word doomed is so loaded. <laughs> like, like, you're living less of a life. That's why I say, church, part of this is our fault because we've so elevated that marriage is the end-all, be-all that if you don't get married, you're somehow living a lesser life. And doomed to single sounds like doomed to loneliness. It should not be that way. Okay, you can live without sex. People do it all the time, right? 
but no one can live without intimacy. And I mean like relational intimacy, friendships, deep, as we call them around here, gospel-centered friendships. And there ought to be, there ought to be this sense that I'm not, I may be single, I may be technically somebody would say, well, I'm not married, but man, I belong to a large family and I, I'm welcome in people's homes and people embrace me like a family member. I was, I was listening to um, somebody the other day who was talking about uh, her, her struggles with this and she's in a church and she says, you know, one of the greatest things, one of the ways I've channeled that is, is that I've, I've, I've become ants to all kinds of families. Like these children are like my nieces and nephews and I love them like children and I've, I've been welcomed into these, these people's homes. Church, that's the kind of environment we ought to be creating. We ought to be creating an environment where, where people don't feel doomed. They feel like, wow, I can live this incredibly satisfying life, this God-glorifying. I can repress these desires. Yes, they're there, but I don't have to act out on them. And to say doomed to singleness means that's the same thing that Jesus was. Jesus was doomed to singleness. I don't think Jesus saw his singleness. I don't think Paul saw his singleness as doom. I think he saw it as maybe a thorn in his flesh. Maybe, I, I, mean, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, Paul says, I wish you were as I were. And some people want to see a gift of singleness. Like Paul just was like, I love not being married. I'm not sure. I don't see, I'm sure we can read that in the text. Paul may have gone, I'd love to have a woman beside me. For whatever reason, he gave up that desire to serve Christ. And, and at the end of his life, he's like, you know what? I have run the course. I have finished the race. And, and I don't feel like I've missed a thing. And now there's laid up for me a crown. You understand, marriage is temporary. Okay, so, so I don't know what you've heard, but... I'm going to burst your bubble maybe. When I get, this, this is hard for me to believe, but when I get to heaven, Michelle and I will not be married anymore. We're not going to live in the same house. I don't know what that looks like. We won't be married. That, that's heartbreaking for me to think like that right now. On the other hand, God's saying, all I'm doing is your marriage is simply a, a model, a picture of Christ and his church when this marriage gives way to the, to the grand marriage, to the grand narrative over all that God is doing in this universe. And none of us are going to get up there and say, man, I'd be much happier if I was still married. Right? This is why when the Bible talks about death, uh, one, of the, one of the exceptions to getting remarried is, did the spouse die? Because it terminates the marriage. So marriage is temporary. We're going to be single, I guess, in that sense, for all eternity. And yet we're going to be married to Jesus Christ. We're going to have the, the relationship as the bride to a bridegroom uh, to Jesus Christ. And so we've got to keep that in mind. This is a momentary suffering that doesn't compare with, the, with, with, with what is to come. And it shouldn't be the kind of suffering that says you're doomed to loneliness. You're doomed to singleness. It should be the kind of suffering that says, okay, as much as I'd want to, I've now found in this family of faith this beautiful expression of community that I can be vitally, vitally connected to. Okay? All right. Next one. 
How often should spouses be physically intimate with one another? And are there things that God looks at as acceptable and unacceptable? So how often and then boundaries. Stephen and Katie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sure, we'll talk about it. Um, yeah, so scripture doesn't have a number. Uh, it just says regularly and to take a break. Uh, occasionally, only to take a break when, when you're pray, praying and fasting and things of that, that nature. Um, but I, I, I hesitate to put a number on it because uh, I, I think that it's so specific to your own relationship. Now, each of you, if you are married, you obviously, there's attraction there, there's connection there, and so hopefully there's the sense of this, this should happen often. Um, again, I, I don't want to say a number because if I, as soon as I say a number, be like, oh man, we are like way above or way below or whatever. Or, um, but it should be regular. Um, it, it should, I'll say this, it should at least be once a week. Um, it, it should be one of those things that is a joy uh, for each other. And it should be something that, that you look forward to together. But it takes communication mm-hmm. to find out what that sweet spot is for you. And there's seasons of life that are busy and you have to fight through that. And you have to continue to be faithful um, to your spouse in those ways. And part of this has to do too with our framework of sexual intimacy and marriage. So much of what we do is we approach it with this, well, I'm gonna get mine. And if, if you flip that and it's really like, well, how, the question could be, hey, how often can you serve your spouse in the bedroom? And it's like, well, I, I want to do that mm-hmm. as often as possible. That's good. Um, the second part of that question is what's acceptable, what's unacceptable. Um, I, I would go the route of what is, um, first of all, what's, what's biblical, first of all, uh, keeping the marriage bedroom uh, pure. And, you know, this means not a third partner. This means no pornography, uh, things of that nature. We want to continue to be pure in, in those ways. But then what is what is it that brings you and your spouse joy in the bedroom? And is there any, what, what is unacceptable? It'd be unacceptable if one person is uncomfortable um, or a little uneasy um, about what's happening. Um, I would say that that kind of starts to cross the line of, well, if you're really there to serve your spouse, not your own you know, imagination, um, then maybe you shouldn't go there. No, but if, if they're game and it's biblical, go for it, right? I mean, it's, Seriously, it's, it's all open. It's good. Good. Great. Next one. <laughs> How would you advise a husband, a wife or husband whose spouse chronically struggles with an addiction to uh, pornography? Um, so probably, probably, you know, Statistically, this is going to be the man who struggles. I'm not saying there's no women that do, but um, but how would you how would you handle um, ladies like your your husband has a chronic addiction, keeps returning to that? Um, what would you do? Well, I think well the first thing I would do I'd be grateful that he told me. Hopefully, you would have told me. If not, if I found out about it um, through other means, I would confront him about that and. Um, in love and just say, hey, you know, what's going on? Why has this been happening? And get to the root of it as, as quickly as you can. And then once you get to that root, then you have to decide what to do. And my, my first response would be to um, get counseling because I don't think it's one of these things that it's just going to go away on its own, especially if it's deep-rooted, if they've brought it into the marriage. You know, I think statistically you could probably even look back and say that 
most um, people that become addicted to pornography, it happens, they start at a very young age. And so uh, as Chris has preached about before, you know, there's those neural pathways that are created that are very hard to get out. They're like ruts in your brain that are very hard to get out of. So, you know, I think God can heal someone if you pray. He can take away that desire instantly, just like he does for other things. But I think for a lot of people that still may result in some kind of counseling. So I would get some counseling as quickly as you can and then make an accountability structure uh, for that person. Now, ultimately, an accountability structure is only going to work if that person's willing to be accountable. Um, and I think that they should be accountable to that spouse, um, first and foremost, and then get potentially others around them that they can be accountable to in the body that they can meet with regularly to, to talk about those things. Yeah. And then there'd be some other practical things, but yeah. that'd be probably where I'd start. You want to call again? Um, I would just... Am I on? Here we go. I would just add to that, um, be a safe place for your spouse to come and admit those things. Um, I, I can imagine it would be hurtful to you as a spouse, but, you know, don't um, harbor bitterness or anger. Be, be safe and, and pray. Pray uh, for your spouse when, not, when they're not there. Pray with them. Um, and Michelle said it. God can have victory over any addiction, um, and, and he can redeem that. But it might take work. It might take... Um, like Michelle said, counseling, um, and and like she said, get to the root of it. If it's if you're not serving your spouse um, at, in a sexual marriage bed, question that. Um, and and that's for for anybody in struggles or not. Um, really look at yourself and are you are you giving your spouse a hundred percent in that way? Um, a wise wise woman told me when we first got married. Um, only say no once, you know, if, if you're sick, if you have a headache, whatever, um, circumstances, your, your spouse comes to you, um, hey, you know, let's get busy tonight, um, and you're not, uh, you're not that's, up for that's it. A, that's that's not how, how it happens. Do it. No, that's not how it goes. That's my line. You guys know it now. Yeah. <laughs> We're getting busy. For whatever reason, if you have to say no, only say no once. Um, and don't let it go on. Don't say no after no after no, because that is, um, it's your job, and it's to protect your marriage, um, and you work that out together, and, and you work through it together. Let, let me say one thing about this. I, I do think when Jesus said that divorce is unacceptable except in the instance of, and he uses the word pornea, and we talked about it last week. It's a very all-encompassing word, but it would include pornography. Um, pornography is sexual immorality. And that sexual morality can get to such a degree that it can actually justify divorce. That doesn't mean you get divorced. I think before God, whoever the offended party is has to go, is this what God would want me to do? And you've got to consider all kinds of things. And I'm not saying you rush into that. You probably ought to come talk to some pastors about that and let us walk with you through that. But I would say uh, this can become so addictive, so so out of bounds within the marriage that, that the marriage covenant is so broken by this sexual morality that in that instance, um, divorce uh, would be a biblical option. Okay, uh, next one. One more. My girlfriend has been uh, feeling unappreciated lately. What are ways you have to, uh, found to make your significant other feel special? I'll grab this real, real quick. Yeah, uh, I think you should probably propose... Um, and uh, that would probably do it. No, I, I think I think real quickly. So, 
So, so much of this actually, I like this question because there's a couple of, there's like a timeline to it in my mind. Like there's, so lately, right, my girlfriend's been feeling unappreciated. So what that tells me, and I'm going to read into this situation a little bit, but that, what that tells me is that y'all been dating for too long. I mean, honestly. So, and if you're, if you're, if you're a girlfriend and boyfriend and you have a relationship and you're at marrying age, honestly, I, I kind of joked about it. You should just get married. I mean, what are you doing? Um, if you're actually courting and if you're just waiting until someone gets a full-time job or waiting until someone graduates and parents with college kids, you probably hate me, but I, I, I get married. It's, it's so much less distracting and you have the time to be able to appreciate one another in a whole other layer of the, the, the bedroom. I mean, so once, once that happens, um, obviously, if you're in high school and you're dating or maybe you just are in a situation where you can, um, you can figure that out and, have, and, and appreciate one another, um, there's other aspects to that. But uh, I would say that usually for me, it's like 75% of the time, um, let's fast track this. Let's, let's get married. So that's what I would say. Okay. I think we have one more. If my beliefs about uh, homosexuality differ from that of Foothill Church, is this the church for me? Well, it depends on really the degree and whether or not um, uh, you feel like you have to walk around and pretend that you're something you're not. Uh, we don't want that for you. Um, on the other hand, we would love for this to be a place where you'd come and you'd grow and you'd listen uh, to Scripture because hopefully what you're not hearing is my opinion or Stephen's opinion or a pastor's opinion. Hopefully what you're hearing is the Word of God. And what convicts you is not this is the way Pastor Chris feels. This is, this is scripture that I'm, being, uh, fa- uh, I'm facing. And so if you, if you are coming here and you feel like, you know what, there's no way I'm ever going to change my mind, and this is a central issue for me, this is a big deal for me, and Foothill Church is very clear on where, where they land on this issue, then maybe it's not. Um, I don't want to have anybody leave. Um, but if, if you're like, hey, if you'd say, I'm not a Christian and I'm still kind of weighing through this, and I'm trying to wrestle this out, great, come, wrestle with us. Let's, let's, let's think, let's, let's reason together, let's talk. If you are a Christian and you think that somehow these two things are compatible, I would challenge you on that. Um, homosexuality, homosexual practice is not compatible with Christianity any more than any sexual morality, any unrepentant sin is compatible with Christianity. So we are not, uh, you know, so I, I just want to be clear here. Foothill Church, I hope we are, we are being equal opportunity in terms of our view of sin. We would say that anybody who wants to come here and wrestle and struggle with sin, come, you're welcome. We're all doing the same thing together. But if you come into this room and into this church and think, you know what, um, I don't really care what the Bible says. I don't care what, you know, you say. Uh, I want to call myself a Christian and I want to I embrace this sinful lifestyle, whatever it is. Then, A, I think you have reason to question whether or not you're a Christian. And B, I'm not sure any church that actually believes the Bible is a place for you. This is a place where honest strugglers are welcome. I don't care what it is. Like you can walk through these doors and go, man, I've got this painful sin 
and I hate it, and I don't like this about myself, and I keep seeming to fall back into it or whatever, and, and yet there's this, there's this hatred of your own sin, or there's this discovery as you walk with us. There's like, man, I, I, I don't want to be like that. I want to be different, and I feel like the Spirit of God is convicting me. Listen, that's a Christian. A Christian cannot walk in unrepentant sin, no matter what it is. If the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, resides inside of you and is, is guiding you. And they're going to do, I mean, and again, I think there's people on spectrum. They're, sometimes, you know, that happens slowly, faster. So, so the, the progress of sanctification is different in every single person. But at the end of the day, if you persist, if you persist in believing that sexual morality, so I'll just call out that one sin, that sexual morality is completely compatible with being a Christian, then I think Paul would say, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, on what basis do you have an assurance of salvation? Where are you going to? Are you going to your own experience? Because that's that's, that is just not where we go. We let the Bible, if it will, if the Bible overrules my experience and overrules my feelings, we allow the Bible that sort of leeway in our lives. We let the Bible say what it's going to say and we bow our knee to it. And it will offend you. And if Scripture never pushes back on you, and if it even doesn't push back on you on the things that you sort of hold dear to you, ever, like that, that just doesn't happen, then, then to what extent do you, do you take assurance in your own salvation? Because I don't think that's the way the Bible talks. Martin Luther was right that the life of a Christian is a life of repentance. We are forever being confronted with the lack of our conformity to who Jesus is and to what Scripture reveals to us. And that doesn't mean you walk with your head hanging down between your knees. It means that he is changing you. He's pushing you. He's pushing back. And I would say this. If, if you have, if you found out about Michelle and I, that Michelle affirms everything about me, right? I can yell and scream and kick and I may have these pet sins and I look at pornography and she's just there to go, that's so wonderful, and rub my back and go, I think you're awesome. And I would say to you, she never pushes back or challenges me. You'd probably go, I think you have a terrible marriage. Because Michelle has no right or ability to come to you and rebuke you. She has no ability to step into your space and go, that's wrong. You've got to stop doing that. What kind of friend is that? Jesus is not my therapist. Jesus is not just this affirming best friend who never has anything to say wrong to me. Jesus is intolerant of my sin. Jesus is a lover of my soul. He's full of grace. He's full of truth. And he's going to push back on my life. So can you come here? I'd say, honestly, it just depends on where do you fall? Are you a Christian or non-Christian? Is this like, is this a, is this a big, big issue for you? Is this like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm never changing my mind about this. 
I practice this way or I, I, actually, I actually approve of people practicing this way. I tolerate that kind of sin, whatever it is. I think it's a good thing for our world. Then you're probably going to be very uncomfortable at any church that takes its Bible seriously. And, and probably uh, this, would, and this would certainly be one of those, okay? All right, well, there you go. Uh, we are out of time. And, uh, and I want to just thank uh, the Coppenrass and Michelle. Uh, let's give them a hand. Here you go, baby. Yeah. Uh, let me say this. Um, if, you, if you hear anything we're talking about and you have more questions, we'd love to talk to you afterwards. We'd, we'd love to, you know, just um, answer any other questions. We're happy to do that. But um, what, what, I, what I hope you hear more than anything is the gospel changes people. The gospel changes marriages. The gospel changes individuals. The gospel comes and, it's, and we hear about what Jesus Christ and who he is. And really, this is the fundamental issue. The fundamental issue isn't your sin, isn't my sin. The fundamental issue is who do I believe Jesus is? And if I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, if I believe he died for my sins and for the sins of all who would believe in him, and he rose to prove that everything he said was true, but now we've got to start talking about lordship. We've got to start talking about things like, can, 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 Jesus, can Jesus push back against me? And, 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 and he will, and he will transform our lives. He will change us from the inside out. He'll change our affections. He'll change our attitude towards sin. He just will. That's what Jesus does. And he does it so lovingly and so patient. He's so kind in how he treats us. But do you know Jesus like this? Do you know the Christ, the Son of God? Have you put your faith in him? This is the fundamental issue. issue. Your sexual morality is not your fundamental issue. Right? Your, 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 your greed, your covetousness, your, your sins that you carry around, that is not the fundamental issue. The fundamental issue is what do you believe about Jesus? And have you believed and trusted in him as your Lord and Savior? And if you're here today and say, man, I want to do that. I want to know him. I want to turn. I, I see this trajectory of my life is leading me away from Christ. And I want to turn and repent and run to him. I want to encourage you to do that today, that you would run to Jesus. You'd say yes to Jesus. Place your faith in him. Stephen talked about that connection card at the very beginning. And there's a place in the front that says, I want to become a follower of Jesus Christ. Check that box. And then walk it out to our black info tent and hand it to our volunteers. We would just love to be a resource to you and help you to begin to grow in your faith. Ultimately, it's the Spirit of God that as you say yes to Jesus, the Bible says that our great giving God puts His Spirit inside of us to, to guide us into truth, to help us, to transform us. This is what does it. And so, so we invite you, man, make that decision today, okay?